Welcome to Seekers and Scholars, a podcast from the Mary Baker Eddy Library in Boston and online at mbelibrary.org. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you normally get your podcasts. I'm Jonathan Eder, your host. Here at the Mary Baker Eddy Library, we are pleased to be going ahead with Seekers and Scholars recordings during this period when many of us are needing to work remotely in accordance with public health guidelines. So, what seemed best for us to do under these circumstances was to look in on staff at the library to see about their work and discoveries on various research projects. These conversations will serve as teasers, if you will, about the kind of research that's in the works and what it promises. In this episode, we'll be talking with senior research archivist Judy Honecky on her research into African Americans and Christian science, especially during the Jim Crow era in American culture. We'll begin by visiting with Russell Fogg. He's programs assistant at the Mary Baker Eddy Library, but in terms of seekers and scholars, he's one of the producers of this podcast. So this is a bit of a new role to be our guest. So Russell, thanks for taking on uh, this other assignment. It's good to be here, and it's fun being out in front of the mic. So, Russell, I know that you have been researching into the story of Christian science in Boston during the 1880s. Why has the library wanted to dig into that particular time and place? It's because the Mother Church in Boston on the Christian Science Plaza in the Back Bay is a visible, well-known location. But there's a a period of history of Christian science here in Boston that predates the building of the original Mother Church on the plaza, which was completed in 1894. Um, And in order to look at that history, we have to go to a different part of Boston, the downtown. And that downtown period spans the 1880s. So this has required learning about a different section of this city, where Christian science isn't a visible presence Uh, What has been involved in terms of sort of staking out that territory and telling the story of Christian science in Boston during this time period? It corresponds with a very interesting period in the history of Boston. And so, as you mentioned, there aren't a lot of physical landmarks that relate to Christian science in this downtown area. And so there's been a bit of research and investigating to put the pieces together and match addresses with where these spaces are. But what's been most fascinating is is this correlation between the establishment of Christian science in Boston, the growth of the church, the building of the mother church. It's with a period of Boston's history where the city is physically expanding and, and shifting. Mm. I'm going to talk about it through the lens of a landfilling project called the Back Bay Project, which started around the 1840s and was completed sometime in the 1880s. This Back Bay project was a significant one because the land mass that was added in the Back Bay project was equal to what the original peninsula had been. But previous to this, the focus of the city had been in a much smaller geographic location where things were much tighter together and institutions were sharing physical space much more closely. So this is the time period that we're looking at. It's the First Church of Christ Scientist being established, growing, and eventually moving into this Back Bay neighborhood. It corresponds with the move of a lot of the cultural institutions to the same part of Boston. Mm. So in the 1880s, there is a church, but not a physical church uh, for Christian science in Boston. 
Correct. The church was chartered in 1879, but the physical building that's now known as the Mother Church was not completed till 1894. So how did these early Christian scientists have a sense of church, of being a congregation, of having a sense of community, if you will? Well, that's been the fascinating part of of doing this research and learning about this time period is seeing how creatively the church was adapting to its surroundings. Mm. Uh, It was renting rooms, typically on a Sunday afternoon at 3 p.m. service. This enabled newcomers to still attend their regular churches in the morning and then come to attend the Christian science services in the afternoon. There wasn't a, a building that represented their location or their plot of land in the city, their stake in the city. It was just a place where they would gather. And so this is putting them in very close proximity to other religious organizations, other philosophical, theological environments, and requiring them to share the space, to share uh, the real estate, to share the social environment uh, with everybody else. (laughs) So perhaps a little bit of a lesson in civic relations could be (laughs) drawn from this period. Exactly. In fact, in in part of the research that we've been doing uh, and reading through reminiscences and, and different accounts, There's one account that a man named William Lyman Johnson wrote about holding testimony meetings in what was then known as Wesleyan Hall. Now, this Methodist building is uh, on a small street in, in downtown Boston. Here, for about five years, the Friday evening testimony meetings were held. T- today, the Christian Science Church holds Wednesday evening testimony meetings. This was the precursor to that. So in this account from William Lyman Johnson, uh, he says this, Such a location brought the church and the meetings into direct touch with worshipers of other denominations. And this change proved to be wise. It brought Christian science to the notice of many ministers, some of whom were led to the serious study of Christian science so that antagonism was lessened thereby. Here, the Friday evening meetings were very successful. Wesleyan Hall seated about 350. It was located on the second floor of the building, back from the street, so that it was quiet and well-suited at that time for our needs. And here, the Friday evening services were held until the Mother Church edifice was finished. It's exactly what you're talking about. It's a it's a civic lesson. It's a it's an advantage and discipline in a way of of working closely with those who who may hold different theological beliefs and positions. So when you're talking about this area, I think for those of us who are from Boston, it's recognizable. But for people who've been visitors to Boston in the past, how would you uh, locate it in their minds? Most people would be familiar with the Boston Common. It's just down the hill from the State House. Another part of the top corner is uh, Park Street Church, which has that tall white steeple. People also may be familiar with what's known as the Freedom Trail. This is a, a line of red bricks throughout the old part of the city that many people, if they visited Boston, have taken a tour of the Freedom Trail, learning about the revolutionary history of Boston following these paths. And these buildings that where Christian science is being early established here in Boston are literally right along this Freedom Trail. Mm-hmm. So Hawthorne Hall, where the church had its first regular services, is literally between the State House and uh, the Park Street Church. Uh, several of the other uh, sites that are significant to Christian Science are right along this Freedom Trail section of downtown Boston. Right, and the old Granary Burial Ground, I believe, where 
great John Hancock is interred and other significant figures, Paul Revere, I think, uh, right across the, the way from a lot of significant events for Christian Zionists and places where those took place. Exactly. And it's just been fascinating and, and incredible to learn about a whole different period of the history of Boston to see the very close relationship between this great city of Boston and the establishment of Mary Baker Eddy's church here. Well, it's fascinating to get a little bit of a glimpse into this material and into this research that you've been uh, engaged with, Russell. Thanks for sharing it. Uh, Just curious, what are some additional lines of inquiry that you'll be following? Well, one of them is, is sort of what we were just talking about. What would it have been like to be part of a movement where the founder is right there on the ground, side by side, leading things day in and day out? And, and, and along with that, what was her relationship then with the other leaders um, of, of movements there in Boston? And, and how did she deal with that as someone who was really trying to get something off the ground and get things moving? Sounds like there'll be many lessons in leadership to be garnered from that. I expect so, yeah. (laughs) Great. Well, thanks so much, Russell. It's been great spending this time with you. Well, thanks for having me. It's been fun to be here in front of the microphone. Well, let's get started with part two of this episode on research projects that are ongoing here at the Mary Baker Eddy Library. So happy to welcome into our remote studio, Judy Honecky. She's Senior Research Archivist at the Mary Baker Eddy Library. Hi there, Judy. Hi there. I'm glad to kind of be there. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, well, we are. We're hovering there in hyperspace. So, Judy, I I know you've been looking into the history of African Americans in the Christian science movement. How did you get started on that area of, of research and inquiry? Well, it started with my work here at the Mary Baker Eddy Library as a researcher. Mm -hmm. We've been asked a number of times over the years about early African Americans and the Christian science movement. Mm -hmm. Uh, The one that I've found the most information on at this point is Marietta Webb. Well, you've written a, a wonderful article that appears on our Women of History series section of the Mary Baker Eddy Library website. So I know a little bit about Marietta Webb. One thing that jumped out at me is just how early in the movement uh, she became very deeply involved with Christian science. Yes, uh, she became interested in Christian science in the late 1890s. She wrote a testimony for the Christian science magazines about her family's healings in Christian science that ended up as part of Mary Baker Eddy's book, Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures, in the uh, final chapter, Fruitage. And that ended up being published in 1907. She was really interested, I would say, in becoming an active member of the Christian science movement. But even at that early stage, it was not a movement, I would say, that was completely friendly to African Americans. Hmm. And one thing I like about her is that in spite of that, she persevered in, in different ways. I think what I'm most interested in researching are some events that happened uh, several decades later after she had moved to Los Angeles, California. It's kind of an interesting story in that she was uh, born in Virginia, but probably when she was no more than a toddler, her family moved from Virginia to the Boston area. Mm -hmm. And it was in Boston that she found Christian science. From there, just within a few years, she moved 
to the West Coast, which was, uh, you know, a major move in those days. And uh, she found Christian science out there as well, began to attend a Christian science church, and even found a teacher of Christian science who was willing to teach an African-American woman uh, primary class instruction so that she could learn more about how Christian science heals. Something that I also find interesting and, and certainly want to research in more detail is the extent to which Christian science churches and church services were integrated at that point. Right. Um, what we seem to be finding is that they definitely were integrated at that early date and actually became more segregated later. Mm -hmm. uh, it seems to be something that develops about three decades after Webb's move to the West Coast in the 1930s. And this is what leads to some research that I'm deeply interested in, and that is finding out her role in the creation of what were then called colored churches, colored Christian science churches. This hadn't happened in Los Angeles at all mm -hmm. until the 1930s. In my research, I'm looking into how this practice got started in the 1920s. What, though, is interesting about Marietta Webb is that she started this small group of African Americans, but as they began to establish themselves and maybe become what is called a Christian science society, mm -hmm. Marietta Webb really didn't want it to be a segregated group. Right. She wanted it, as she said, to be mixed. And with that, she got into some trouble because I guess a mixed group was not acceptable. It indicates to me that Marietta Webb was not interested in segregation and that she challenged segregation, not entirely successfully. Unfortunately, that colored designation didn't end up leaving the Christian science movement until a few years after she passed away. But I love the fact that she was challenging these regulations and that she was working for racial equality and racial justice. So it seems she was able to sort of separate the spiritual message of Christian science from whatever the politics of that period were that were influencing these administrative, if you will, decisions around classification of churches. Yes, it seems like her love for Christian science uh, superseded these awful injustices that she had to endure. And I really admire her for doing that. So when was it that the colored church designation went away? It didn't go away until 1956. Jeepers. And that was about five years after Marietta Webb's uh, passing. What has been your methodology, your approach to garnering this information? How have you been going about this? Well, it's been kind of a two-pronged approach. Mm -hmm. You know, my specialty is working in the actual records that are here at the Mary Baker Eddy Library in our special collections and in our archives. The challenge, though, is that Marietta Webb was a person whose direct connections with the Boston organization were somewhat limited, of course, because she was on the West Coast. That makes it a little more challenging. So I'm looking into records that relate to the two colored churches that were in Los Angeles. They were 29th and 39th churches. Perhaps those records will give us a richer indication of her connections to those churches, what she did with them, and what perhaps she didn't do with them. Another resource uh, that we're looking into 
is Ancestry.com. That was extremely helpful in giving us a sense of where she was in certain decades. Also of great interest are the articles on her that have appeared in newspapers. I found largely in the Black newspapers of the day because the story of her uh, controversy with the Christian Science Group in Los Angeles ended up hitting a lot of those papers. Wow. Another thing that's also of interest, and perhaps you've seen this, Jonathan, is that there was an article on Black Christian scientists in Ebony magazine shortly before Marietta Webb died, and it contains the only picture we've ever been able to find of her, mm. as well as a good indication of, of how the so-called colored churches operated uh, throughout the United States. Right. In Marietta Webb's case, unlike with some other projects that I've worked on, it's going to have to be a combination of records that are in our archives and a lot of records that are in other places. One thing that a colleague of mine is going to help me with is to do more research on Marietta Webb's background. We want to find out if her parents were freedmen who had been born into slavery or whether they were actually free before the Civil War. So I'm curious, do we have any sense if there are any living descendants of Marietta Webb? As far as I can tell, there are no living descendants of Marietta Webb. She had just uh, one son. Her husband died within a decade of their moving to California. Mm -hmm. So again, uh, you really have to admire the fact that she was able to pick up at that difficult time, continue her work, and actually become a Christian science practitioner uh, in spite of the severe financial challenge that she was faced as a single mother at a time when women weren't commonly employed in most businesses. That also gives us uh, a little hint as to the strength of character that she had. Well, I think so. And I certainly encourage listeners to look at the article that you wrote. And also the, the picture that you explained uh, came from the uh, spread on Christian science and African-Americans in Ebony magazine. Because I think in that picture, if you agree, uh, Judy, you get a sense of that strength of character. Yes, I think you do. So it sounds, Judy, from what you're uncovering, you know, right now in the country, in, in the United States, there's a lot of wrestling going on with our history around race. And it sounds like that's also applicable to uh, the Christian science movement and thinking about its past and how it engaged around that subject. Yes, I, I think it does. And uh, I'm hoping that this gives us a better perspective on what the African-American experience was in Christian science. One thing I like about Marietta Webb was that she was fighting for civil rights. Mm -hmm. And that was a difficult enough thing to do at that time. But she somehow managed to combine that with challenging the racial inequalities in her church. And that certainly adds a dimension to the battle that you don't find too frequently in the historical record. I would add that this is because most American religious denominations tended to be segregated long before the Jim Crow era, that is, long before the late 19th century. Mm -hmm. And they remained segregated, and unfortunately, until about the 1960s or so. Right. And that would have been after Webb's decease. Well, she didn't live to see that, but I think she anticipated it in her heart. I love the um, quote that you end your article with. 
Would it be all right with you if I read just a little bit of that? Oh, please do. This is a quote from Marietta Webb. Oh, glorious truth that makes us free, that guides us into all the avenues and through all the vicissitudes of life, that is a healing balm for all human complaints, and that protects us from all evil, and which I verily believe is to be the only salvation of my race, the Afro-American, and that it will abolish the prejudice which exists through out these United States, for go where we will, we are made to feel our color. But with the wide and rapid spread of Christian science, man is not only learning what the true love of God is by loving all mankind, but he is getting out of his old prejudiced self into the spiritual sense of man's union with God. I think that's a wonderful statement and has so much profundity and so much wisdom in it and so much faith. Yes, I completely agree with that. And I think that's why researching Marietta Webb has turned out to be such a fruitful and fulfilling task. I can't wait to be uh, able to present a paper that gives us a better perspective on Marietta Webb and her great accomplishments. Well, thank you so much for doing this research. We look forward to learning more as it develops. Uh, It's been wonderful to spend this time with you. Thanks so much, Judy. Thanks a lot, Jonathan. Well, thank you all for listening to this episode on research projects in progress at the Mary Baker Eddy Library. These will continue to develop, and we look forward to sharing more about them with you in the future. And with that thought in mind, we invite you to be in touch with us at podcast at mbelibrary.org with any questions or thoughts you might have about seekers and scholars. And then I suppose specifically in relation to these research topics that we just were discussing in this episode, if you have any thoughts or information pertaining to Christian science in Boston in the 1880s or the African-American experience in Christian science, feel free to be in touch at podcast at mbelibrary.org. In our next episode, we'll be continuing with looking in on staff and some other research projects, and we hope you'll join us for that. I'm Jonathan Eder. Thank you, as always, for listening to Seekers and Scholars. This podcast is produced by the Mary Baker Eddy Library, copyright 2020.